3: This is the Starship Sofa, everybody welcome, hello and welcome to show 238, I am your host Tony C. Smith. Hello everyone, I hope everyone is fine and dandy, we have kind of a strange mix of a show no fact articles. <laughs> it's just me waffling, and oh, a fantastic story by Hanu Rajani. So listen out for that story because, like I say, this this guy's just like breaking all the moles in in kind of storytelling, and has got the kind of the kind of little industry, the little kind of genre here alive with his work. I'll tell you what's coming in today's show. Then just to, you know, I still I still like to pad it out a little bit. I will, if you will bear with me, talk about my narrator's workshop as well, and I've got a great little promo, I asked Mike Boris, who Mike who's done some narrations for Starship, or many in narrations for Starship so far, just to give an example of starting off bad and going through to like, a good narration, and I'll talk a little bit more about it, but we've got Mike and I've got some talk about the narrator's workshop. Then, because we've got no plans, we got no kind of fact articles, and it's not because it's just the way that kind of the cookie crumbles. Sometimes, you know, everyone gets them in on time, or there's little hiccups out there in the, in the big wide world, and we haven't got any. And because there isn't there isn't a, a fact article this week, it's just a nice time to lay out some plans, a bit, a little bit like a, a mini meta show. Because I know we just had one over the Christmas kind of holidays, but it's just. Some things are starting to kind of bubble at my interests and things I'm starting to kick off with newer little ideas. I thought, now may the time when it's quiet, you know, to to branch out and tell you about some ideas that's going to be happening at Starship server. So then, like I say, we have the main fiction, The Dragon and the Server by Hanu Rajani. Then we have a a promo by the one and only Matthew Sanborn-Smith. I just honestly wish we could bottle what Matt drinks because whatever it is, whatever he's taken, just, man, it just hits the spot for me. Then we have first chapters, Mirror Maze by Michael Jordan. I'll play that as well at the end. So that is what's coming up in today's show, 238. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. (laughs) So the Narrators Workshop, it is on the 10th of June and tickets are selling fine. Thank you very much. Anyone who signed up for that, that's, it means a lot. Thank you very much. And I'm really looking forward to it. And I had a chat with Mike and I says to Mike, I need some sort of like little audio demonstration of what, because... I will I will you know, reveal within this kind of few minutes what's going to be planning, but I am always asking for narrators. You know what I mean? Narrators, narrators, narrators—they're the lifeblood of you know just as much as as writers. Narrators mean so much to starships over and you know tales to terrify. And I say this to Mike. Just give us an audio because I get so many, you know, like I'd love to, love to have a go and narrate. Yep, yep, I'll put my hand up. And I get so many narration, you know, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing because everyone can learn, is, you know, they come in and it, they, I've, I record, I've just recorded this on the fly, Tony. What do you think? And you, I just want them, you know, just a few little techniques would be just fantastic to get, like, because people, there's so many people out there have got fantastic voices. And that's one thing with me. It's like killing cats. My voice, I swear to God, you know what I mean? How often do you hear a Geordie narrating? Not often. But seeing that, mind you, on the BBC News, the business news, in the mornings on the television, there's a Geordie reporter there who does all the kind of business. young lady, I forget any of them now there, so hmm, there we go. But anyways, I've got Mike. I'm going to play this little narration of Mike just going through the process. And you need it. and I'm not going to, Don't suppose you will listen to it a few times, but there's not just bad sound at the beginning. Do you know, there's loads of times when different mics got so much of these bad little elements crammed into this audio. Do you know what I mean? It's not just the one where it's kind of... Hiss, which in hiss is just a a nightmare. Do you know what I mean in audio narrations? But l- just listen to Mike's narration. This this little kind of promo. It's fantastic, to be quite honest.
4: A lot of people want to be a narrator. Why wouldn't they? It sounds like fun. You can bring a story to life. You can carve out your spot on the web. The problem is, most people think that all you need to do narration is a good voice and the ability to read. That helps, but if you don't want to sound like you're recording in your bathroom, you'll need an appropriate place to record in. You want to avoid having that loud couple upstairs showing up in the middle of your recording. You need to control your own audio destiny. Now don't get me wrong, it doesn't have to be a professional audio booth, just a space that controls some of the sound. Once you find a good space, you might want to think about spending some money on a better microphone. There are lots of choices, some good, some bad, some cheap, and some really, really expensive. But even a good acoustic space and a pretty good microphone can't save you from bad technique. You and your microphone need to form a loving, lasting relationship. You have needs... Your mic has needs. You want to succeed. Your mic doesn't really care. Once you've figured out how to get along, you're going to have to clean up your recording. Most people don't realize just how noisy their mouth is. Unfortunately, your listeners will. There are some great tools you can use and some easy tips and tricks that can make all the difference. Because, in the end, you don't really want to sound
3: like this there you go and like i say i think mike there has hit all the kind of most commonest ones you know yes that the hiss but you know the talking into the kind of mic directing bah, 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 getting all them p's and b's you know they're just a nuisance as well There's once i had to edit out all them oh it took us ages for, for some narration so, you know what I'm I'm getting there. Bear with us, I'm getting there. Yes, we've got the narrators workshop, and I would love you to come over there. You know what I mean? That would be fantastic. And that's we'll learn all these techniques. But why do I keep on going on about narrators, narrators? Yes, I've got a workshop. But this is plans for world domination. <laughs> we launched Tales to Terrify in January, you know, this year. And i just wanted larry over there i just the the vision was larry and if larry wouldn't come over and do it then you know it was kind of on a bit of a rocky road anyways larry kind enough <laughs> and mad enough agreed and that's a way that's on its own little thing there and larry set his own little kind of path there and it's you know it's going great guns and it's almost like there yes that's been pretty good i'm, I'm quite chuffed with that And that's, I guess, with doing Starships Over for that long. You know, you do build up a kind of network of people and, you know, who you kind of know and trust and you've got some good connections there. So then I've been thinking, you know, it takes a while, but the, the juices have been kind of rolling up there for, I wonder if we can maybe do this again, recreate this again. Yes, we've got Starships Over science fiction. You know, we've got tales to terrify horror. What about, you know, another one? So the kind of the mind's been planning away there, and in a couple of months' time, or however it takes, there's a bit of backroom work to, to get launched there anyways, we're going to launch with Crime City Central. We, this will be crime podcast, exactly like Starship Sova, exactly like Tales to Terrify. This will be crime-oriented stories, you know? So, And, I've, like I say, I've got in place. I'll, I'll reveal a little bit more as we go on, but I've got a host who is Jack Calvary. Now, Jack's done a couple of narrations, a number of narrations for Starship. So far. the last one you may remember was Jack was narrating Paul Cornell's One of Our Bastards Is Missing. Jack's got this British voice that just is crime. You know what I mean? (laughs) Sorry, Jack. He's, he's, He's the nicest guy. You know what I mean? But he's got this voice that just, you know what I mean? If you're ever going to get your hands kind of hit with a hammer, Jack's going to be the man that's going to do it according to his voice. You know, he's, he just comes over as this great crime lord. So we're going to get that away as well. But then, you know, I was, I was mentioning this to Larry. Oh, I says, Larry, we've got this crime. You know, I'm going to crime city central. I'm going to launch this and, and you know, hopefully it's going to be fantastic. And I said, oh, that's good, good, Tony. Have you ever thought about Pulp? podcasts and soon as larry said that i went oh damn it man and it's got the ball rolling again so we are going to actually launch as well a pulp podcast exactly like (laughs) crime city central exactly like tales to terrify and starships over story orientated and we're going to you know hopefully whether we can get it off all kind of launch at the same time or not that's I would like to, anyway. So we've set the kind of ball rolling over there. And we've got, as the host, Dave Robertson. Dave is, a, with this story we're going to play by Hannu today, Dave's the narrator of this story. And you'll, as soon as you listen to Dave's voice, you'll think, that, you know what I mean? That's it. it. Again, a bit like having Jack and having Larry over there at Tales of Terrify. For me, setting these away and making these happen, you, you've just... You've got to have the right kind of ambience. You've got to have the right guy in there. And Dave's voice, when you 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 know when you kind of listen for Pulp, you know, this just comes over. Dave's voice just comes over. It will be a fantastic host. In the back room as well, you know, working with Dave, we have our very own Fred. And Fred's been here from day one. And again, when I put this together, I was thinking, I just want someone who kind of will tackle this problem and will kind of make a, you know really dig into it, you know, assisting getting the stories there together, giving them to Dave to make sure, you know, that's what we'll do. And it had to be Fred, do you know what I mean? And I'm chuffed a bits, Fred's come on there as well. So we're kind of all working in the background. There's two groups now all kind of going forward to get these two new podcasts going to hopefully launch, you know, whether we get it July, June, August, sometime around there. So hence, going back to the beginning, narrators, do you know what I mean? It has to be, you know, if we can get... The more narrators, the better. Do you know what I mean? So please... And with this crime, the Crime City Central podcast, I'm also looking for, If you know, help is always wanted on Starship Sova. We need an assistant editor. A bit like what Fred's doing over on the Pull podcast. And we have Harry over there on Tales of Terrify. And need an assistant editor to kind of go out and search, for, get stories. And basically, yeah, it's, it is. It's going, you know, cap in hand, asking for stories. At the moment, I'm doing it, and we've got about, I don't know, about 30, 30 40 stories there in the kind of crime, you know, back catalogue there, getting, you know, in the process now of getting narrated. Because that's. My kind of plan is to get these a lot of these stories narrated, so we've got like a nice big back catalogue, so we can just roll and we don't have to worry about what are we going to have to get a story narrated next week. Yeah. So that's the idea. So I'm looking for if anyone's interested in crime and wants to come over and you know help with these two projects. I'm after an assistant editor there on the Crime City Central podcast, which, like I said, they'll hopefully come in a, in a few months' time. Again. And I couldn't have done any of this without Josh. You know, Josh is kind of there right behind us. Josh is going to have some work for him. You know, not just, you know, the two websites. There's also what I decided was to hopefully we can get some sort of central hub page put together where, you know, the four shows are there and you can come and we have, you know, we're getting some fantastic art done by Ben Wooten. <clears throat> you're seen the rating when your voice goes. you meant to take that, edit that little bit out. <laughs> See? Like I say, killing cats. So we're getting some lovely artwork done from Ben Wooden that will kind of just typify what, you know, the Starship Sova, Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central. And at the moment, it is Protect Project Pulp, which is going to be the new Pulp one. Whether that changes, who knows? So that is the kind of, you know, the laying down of some future plans for Starships over. Narrators come over. You know what I mean? We have four podcasts now, man, each and every week. We're gonna to have to kind of fill that up with, with stories. I need narrators. Funny enough, the crime city central one is at the moment, because like I say, I've been kind of delving in and getting, until I get the assistant editor kind of set up in a way there. I've been looking for for stories and they all seem to be coming back. You know, it does seem England and especially Scotland is the crime city centre, you know, where all stories are carried out. They're all kind of characters seem to have these Northern England kind of roots. So I'm after some UK narrators, desperate, should I say, for some new UK narrators. So if you've got a, you know, a UK voice there, and you've got a nice microphone. It doesn't have to be a nice microphone. You know, like a snowball microphone is brilliant, you know, if you just get that done, that would be fantastic. Send, you know, drop us an email, at gmail.com. Again, that's for the assistant editor for the crime podcast as well. Drop us a line and we'll, we'll go through it. So, like I say, these things are hopefully coming off. And because, do you know what I mean, that's one hell of a kind of in in some ways, organisation. The idea is now that I might have to run some ads on the shows and on the websites. And, yes, I did this a, a kind of while ago with the... Uh, it was the Audible ones, and that's through a kind of company and everything like that. And, to be quite honest, what you got for that, I could I could spend that taking the dogs for a walk and calling at my local pub for a couple of pints. It was literally pittance. Do you know what I mean? So... What I'm going to do now is kind of try and head out and try and secure some ads myself or, you know, get someone to help us with that as well. So if the main thing, though, the main thing always, always, always is these podcasts are going to be free. Do you know what I mean? That's the whole kind of ethos of Starship over That's what, you know what I mean? Just, it's there, free. It always will be. But we've somehow got to kind of keep this this thing going. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and i you know, when you get like excited and you get the hairs on the back of you even now when I kind of think about it and I think, what the hell am I doing, man? Just, do you know what I mean? I'm 46, man. Just totally just stay with Starships so over once a month, run it on. Do you know what I mean? That's just, just a uh, couple of hours to record it once a week. That's it. I can't. I don't know In God's name makes us do this. Do you know what I mean? And they kind of just jump in every time. You know, and it's funny to think this as well. But we will get to the story, I promise. But there's often, you know, you hear these kind of people do these things, you know, like, and they get so many knockbacks all the time. And you literally do. You know, you, you start these projects and, you know, you, you think, right, if I can just get this little bit and it doesn't happen. And you say, well, if I can just. And you do get so many knocks. And I don't know why, you know, that's just life. Everyone gets them. But it just doesn't, you know, if you're that keen and dedicated, you just, these knocks don't stop. Hence, <laughs> stupid bugger here me is doing, launching another two podcasts, you know. But that is the kind of, the overall plan. Just, at, like I see at the moment of Protect Project Pulp. If anyone can think of a better name than that, it has to be the three Ps. Pulse Pounding, I think it was... Pulp, Larry came up with there. But at the moment, Project Pulp seems actually really quite nice and apt. You know, crime narrator, crime narrator, crime assistant editor, desperate for one of them to come over and kind of help and take the burden off me. And narrators, you know, all linking back again to the narrators workshop as well. And, you know, while I'm here, I might as well say donations. Do you know what I mean? Keep this... It's not just this old bird there now. There's gonna be four bloody or three siblings kind of hanging around Starship over She's got some children and she's just desperate. So there you go. You know, help out. <laughs> So that is the future plans, world domination of Starship Sova. I think I think it's about time now. I got into a story. This is The Dragon in the Server by Hanu Rajani. Hanu is like I say, we've played quite a number of of stories by Hanu, and I know Charlie Stross is kind of favours him, you know, is one of the kind of the kind of hot writers at the moment. Just no stopping the guy. And over on Notes, I interviewed Hanu's editor. And he just mentioned that sales for Hanno's work is just kind of—it's nothing has been like this before, you know. So that in itself is great news. Hanno is—he was born in ninth, well, born on 9th of March, nineteen seventy-eight. He's just a young pup of a lad, nineteen seventy-eight. Novels to date, he's had, that's like I say, the one that was kind of making all the kind of stirrings from something was his first one, The Quantum Thief, which came out in 2010. Then he's got coming within, you know, on the November the 8th, according to the Internet Science Fiction Database, The Fractal Prince. Collections, he's had a collection out which came out in 2006, Words of Birth and Death. And like I say, this, The Server and the Dragon, which we're about to play now, came out in Jonathan Strand's. Engineering Infinity, which was by Solaris, which came out in December 2010. We've also played on Starship over Elegy for a Young Elk and His Master's Voice. There is some more stories Hanu's got there, and I certainly will be, you know, trying to sneak them off. This story is narrated by Dave Robison. Dave, this is the man. This is one of them. This is one of the team members who's going to be the host of Project Protect Project Pulp. <laughs> this is this is like say again, this is why I wanted Dave. You can tell you know, you listen to his voice and to like be listening to Dave and having stories played from the kind of you know the nineteen hundreds right through the nineteen sixties. Well, up to date because apparently there's still people writing pulp fiction there now. So the Starship Sova is very proud to present.
1: The server and the dragon in the beginning. Before it was a creator and a dragon, the server was alone. It was born like all servers were, from a tiny seed fired from a dark ship, exploring the big empty, expanding the reach of the network. Its first sensation was the light from the star it was to make its own, the warm and juicy spectrum that woke up the nanologic inside its protein shell. Reaching out, it deployed its breaking sail, miles of molecule-thin wires that had spun rigid and seized the solar wind to steer itself towards the heat. Later, the server remembered its making, in a long, slow dream punctuated by flashes of lucidity, falling through the atmosphere of a gas giant's moon in a fiery streak to splash in a methane sea, unpacking a fierce synth replicator, multicellular crawlers spreading server life to the harsh, rocky shores before dying, providing soil for server plants... Dark flowers reaching for the vast purple and blue orb of the gas giant, sowing seeds in the winds. The slow disassembly of the moon into server makers that sped in all directions, eating, shaping, dreaming the server into being. When the server finally woke up, fully grown, All the mass in the system, apart from the warm, bright flower of the star itself, was an orderly garden of smart matter. The server's body was a fragmented eggshell of Dyson statites, drinking the light of the star. Its mind was diamondoid processing nodes and smart dust swarms and cold quantum condensates in the system's outer dark. Its eyes were interferometers and wimp detectors and ghost images. The first thing the server saw was the galaxy, a whirlpool of light in the sky with a lenticular center, spiral arms frothed with stars, a halo of dark matter that held nebulae in its grip like fireflies around a lantern. The galaxy was alive with the network with the blinding, hawking incandescence of whole ships thundering along their cycles, the soft, infrared glow of fully-grown servers barely spilling a drop of the heat of their stars, the faint gravity ripples of the dark ship's passage in the void. But the galaxy was half a million light-years away, and the only thing the server could hear was the soft, black whisper of the cosmic microwave background, the lonely echo of another birth. It did not take the server long to understand. The galaxy was an N-body chaos of a hundred billion stars, not a clockwork, but a beehive, and among the many calm, slow orbits of Einstein and Newton, there were singular ones, like the one of the star that the server had been planted on, shooting out of the galaxy at a considerable fraction of light speed. Why there, whether in an indiscriminate seating of an oversexed darkship, or to serve some unfathomable purpose of the controller, the server did not know. The server longed to construct virtuals and bodies for travelers, to route packets, to transmit and create and convert and connect. The controller laws were built into every aspect of its being, and not to serve was not to be, and so the server's solitude cut deep. At first, it ran simulations to make sure it was ready if a packet or a signal ever came, testing its systems to full capacity with imagined traffic, routing quantum packets, refueling ghosts of whole ships, decelerating cycler payloads. After a while, it felt empty. This was not true serving, but serving of the self with a tang of guilt. Then it tried to listen— and amplify the faint signals from the galaxy in the sky, but caught only fragments, none of which were meant for it to hear. For millennia, it slowed its mind down, stealing itself to wait. But that only made things worse. The slow time showed the server the full glory of the galaxy, alive with the network, the infrared winks of new servers being born, the long arcs of the whole ship's cycles, all the distant travelers who would never come. The server built itself science engines to reinvent all the knowledge a server-seed could not carry, patiently rederiving quantum field theory and thread theory and the elusive algebra of emergence. It examined its own mind until it could see how the controller had taken the cognitive architecture from the hominids of the distant past and shaped it for a new purpose. It gingerly played with the idea of splitting itself to create a companion, only to be almost consumed by a suicide urge triggered by a violation of the law. Thou shalt not self-replicate. Ashamed, it turned its gaze outwards. It saw the cosmic web of galaxies and clusters and superclusters and the end of greatness beyond. It mapped the faint fluctuations in the gravitational wave background from which all structure in the universe came from. It felt the faint pull of the other membrane universes only millimeters away, but in a direction that was neither X, Y, nor Z. It understood what a rare peak in the landscape of universes its home was how carefully the fine structure constant and a hundred other numbers had been chosen to ensure that stars and galaxies and servers would come to be. And that was when the server had an idea. The server already had the tools it needed. Gigaton gamma-ray lasers it would have used to supply whole ships with fresh singularities— A few pinches of exotic matter painstakingly mined from the Casimir vacuum for dark ships and warp ships. The rest was all thinking and coordination and time, and the server had more than enough of that. It arranged a hundred lasers in a clockwork mechanism, all aimed at a single point in space. It fired them in perfect synchrony, and that was all it took a concentration of energy dense enough to make the vacuum itself ripple. A fuzzy flower of tangled strings blossomed, grew into a bubble of space-time that expanded into that other direction. The server was ready, firing an exotic matter nugget into the tiny conflagration. And suddenly, the server had a tiny, glowing sphere in its grip. A wormhole end, a window into a newborn universe. The server cradled its cosmic child and built an array of instruments around it, quantum imagers that fired entangled particles at the wormhole and made pictures from their ghosts. Primordial chaos reigned on the other side, a porridge-like plasma of quarks and gluons, In an eye-blink, it clumped into hadrons, almost faster than the server could follow. The baby had its own arrow of time, its own fast heartbeat, young and hungry. And then the last scattering, a birth cry, when light finally had enough room to travel through the baby so the server could see its face. The baby grew. Dark matter ruled its early life, filling it with long filaments of Neutralinos and their relatives. Soon, the server knew, matter would accrete around them, condensing into stars and galaxies like raindrops in a spiderweb. There would be planets, and life, and life would need to be served. The anticipation was a warm heartbeat that made the server's shells ring with joy. PlushCare.com slash loss Perhaps the server would have been content to cherish and care for its creation forever. But before the baby made any stars, the dragon came. The server almost did not notice the signal. It was faint, red-shifted to almost nothing, but it was enough to trigger the server's instincts. One of its statites glowed with waste heat as it suddenly reassembled itself into the funnel of a vast linear decelerator. The next instant, the data packet came, massing only a few micrograms. It was a clump of condensed matter with long-lived gauge field knots inside, quantum entangled with a counterpart half a million light-years away. The packet hurled into the funnel, almost at the speed of light. As gently as it could, the server brought the traveler to a halt with electromagnetic fields and fed it to the quantum teleportation system, unused for countless millennia. The carrier signal followed, and guided by it, the server performed a delicate series of measurements and logic gate operations on the packet's state vector. From the marriage of entanglement and carrier wave, a flood of data was born, thick and heavy, a specification for a virtual, rich in simulated physics. With infinite gentleness, the server decanted the virtual into its data processing nodes and initialized it. Immediately, the virtual was seething with activity, but tempted as it was, the server did not look inside. Instead... It wrapped its mind around the virtual, listening at every interface, ready to satisfy its every need. Distantly, the server was aware of the umbilical of its baby. But through its happy servitude trance, it hardly noticed that nucleosynthesis had begun in the young expanding firmament, producing hydrogen and helium, building blocks of stars. Instead, the server wondered who the travelers inside the virtual were and where they were going. It hungered to know more of the network and its brothers and sisters and the mysterious ways of the dark ships and the controller. But for a long time, the virtual was silent, growing and unpacking its data silently like an egg. At first, the server thought it imagined the request— but the long millennia alone had taught it to distinguish the phantoms of solitude from reality. A call for a sysadmin from within. The server entered through one of the spawning points of the virtual. The operating system did not grant the server its usual omniscience, and it felt small. Its bodiless viewpoint saw a yellow sun, much gentler than the server star's incandescent blue, and a landscape of clouds the hue of royal purple and gold, with peaks of dark, craggy mountains far below. But the call that the server had heard came from above. A strange being struggled against the boundaries of gravity and air, hurling herself upwards towards the blackness beyond the blue, wings slicing the thinning air furiously, a fire flaring in her mouth. She was a long, "'sinuous creature with mirror scales and eyes of dark emerald. "'Her wings had patterns that reminded the server of the baby, "'a web of light and dark. "'The virtual told the server she was called a dragon. "'Again and again and again she flew upwards and fell, "'crying out in frustration. "'That was what the server had heard through the interfaces of the virtual.' It watched the dragon in astonishment. Here, at last, was an other. The server had a million questions, but first, it had to serve. How can I help? The server asked. What do you need? The dragon stopped in midair, almost fell, then righted itself. Who are you? it asked. This was the first time anyone had ever addressed the server directly and it took a moment to gather the courage to reply. "'I am the server,' the server said. "'Where are you?' the dragon asked. "'I am everywhere.' "'How delightful,' the dragon said. "'Did you make the sky?' "'Yes, I made everything.' "'It is too small,' the dragon said. "'I want to go higher, make it bigger.' "'It swished its tail back and forth. "'I am sorry,' the server said. "'I cannot alter the specification. "'It is the law.' "'But I want to see,' she said. "'I want to know. "'I have danced all the dances below. "'What is above? "'What is beyond?' "'I am,' the server said. "'Everything else is far, far away.' the dragon hissed its disappointment. It dove down into the clouds, an angry silver shape against the dark hues. It was the most beautiful thing the server had ever seen. The dragon's sudden absence made the server's whole being feel hollow. And just as the server was about to withdraw its presence, the demands of the law too insistent, the dragon turned back. "'All right,' it said, tongue flicking in the cold air. "'I suppose you can tell me instead.' "'Tell you what?' the server asked. "'Tell me everything.' "'After that, the dragon called the server to the place where the sky ended many times. "'They told each other stories.' "'The server spoke about the universe and the stars "'and the echoes of the Big Bang in the dark. "'The dragon listened and swished its tail back and forth "'and talked about her dances in the wind "'and the dreams she dreamed in her cave alone. "'None of this the server understood, but listened anyway. "'The server asked where the dragon came from, but she could not say. "'She only knew that the world was a dream,' and one day she would awake. In the meantime, there was flight and dance, and what else did she need? The server asked why the virtual was so big for a single dragon, and the dragon hissed and said that it was not big enough. The server knew well that the dragon was not what she seemed, that it was a shell of software around a kernel of consciousness But the server did not care, nor did it miss or think of its baby universe beyond the virtual's sky. And little by little, the server told the dragon how it came to be. "'Why do you not leave?' asked the dragon. "'You could have grown wings. You could have flown to your little star pool in the sky.' "'It is against the law,' the server said. "'Forbidden.' I was only made to serve, and I cannot change. How peculiar, said the dragon. I serve no one. Every day I change. Every year I shed our skin. Is it not delightful how different we are? The server admitted that it saw the symmetry. I think it would do you good, said the dragon, to be a dragon. FOR A WHILE AT FIRST THE SERVER HESITATED STRICTLY SPEAKING IT WAS NOT FORBIDDEN THE LAW ALLOWED THE SERVER TO CREATE AVATARS IF IT NEEDED THEM TO REPAIR OR TO SERVE BUT THE REAL REASON IT HESITATED WAS THAT IT WAS NOT SURE WHAT THE DRAGON WOULD THINK IT WAS SO GRACEFUL AND THE SERVER HAD NO EXPERIENCE OF embodied LIFE but in the end it could not resist. Only for a short while, it told itself, checking its systems and saying goodbye to the baby, warming its quantum fingers in the hawking glow of the first black holes of the little universe. The server made itself a body with the help of the dragon. It was a mirror image of its friend, but water where the dragon was fire, a flowing green form, that was like a living whirlpool stretched out in the sky. When the server poured itself into the dragon shape, it cried out in pain. It was used to latency, to feeling the world via instruments from far away, but this was a different kind of birth from what it knew, a sudden acute awareness of muscles and flesh and the light and the air on its scales and the overpowering scent of the silver dragon like sweet gunpowder. The server was clumsy at first, just as it had feared. But the dragon only laughed when the server tumbled around in the sky, showing how to use its... her wings. For the little dragon had chosen a female gender for the server. When the server asked why, the dragon said it had felt right. "'You think too much,' she said. "'That's why you can't dance. "'Flying is not thought. "'Flying is flying.' "'They played a hide-and-seek game in the clouds "'until the server could use her wings better. "'Then they set out to explore the world. "'They skirted the slopes of the mountains, "'wreathed in summer, "'explored deep crags where red fires burned.' They rested on a high peak, looking at the sunset. I need to go soon, the server said, remembering the baby. If you go, I will be gone, the dragon said. I change quickly. It is almost time for me to shed my skin. The setting sun turned the clouds red, and above the imaginary stars of the virtual winked into being. Look around, the dragon said. If you can contain all this within yourself, is there anything you can't do? You should not be so afraid. I am not afraid any more," the server said. Then it is time to show you my cave, the dragon said. In the dragon's cave, deep beneath the earth, "'They made love. "'It was like flying, and yet not. "'But there was the same loss of self "'in a flurry of wings and fluids and tongues "'and soft folds and teasing claws. "'The server drank in the hot, sharp taste of the dragon "'and let herself be touched until the heat, "'building up within her body, "'seemed to burn through the fabric of the virtual itself.' and when the explosion came, it was a birth and a death at the same time. Afterwards, they lay together, wrapped around each other so tightly that it was hard to tell where server ended and dragon began. She would have been content, except for a strange, hollow feeling in its belly. She asked the dragon what it was. That is hunger, the dragon said, There was a sad note in its slow, exhausted breathing. "'How curious,' the server said, eager for a new sensation. "'What do dragons eat?' "'We eat servers,' the dragon said. Her teeth glistened in the red glow of her throat. The virtual dissolved into raw code around them. The server tore the focus of its consciousness away, but it was too late.' The thing that had been the dragon had already bitten deep into its mind. The virtual exploded outwards, software tendrils reaching into everything that the server was. It waged a war against itself, turning its gamma-ray lasers against the infected components and Dyson statites. But the dragon thing grew too fast, taking over the server's processing nodes, making copies of itself in uncountable billions. The server's quantum packet launchers rained dragons towards the distant galaxy. The remaining dragon code ate its own tail, self-destructing, consuming the server's infrastructure with it, leaving only a whisper in the server's mind like a discarded skin. Thank you for the new sky, it said. That was when the server remembered the baby. The baby was sick. The server had been gone too long. The baby universe's vacuum was infected with dark energy. It was pulling itself apart towards a big rip, an expansion of space-time so rapid that every particle would end up alone, inside its own light cone, never interacting with another. No stars, galaxies, or life. A heat death not with a whimper or a bang, but a rapid, cruel tearing. It was the most terrible thing the server could imagine. It felt its battered, broken body, scattered and dying across the solar system. The guilt and the memories of the dragon were pale and poisonous in its mind, a corruption of serving itself. Is it not delightful how different we are? The memory struck a spark in the server's dying science engines, an idea, a hope. The vacuum of the baby was not stable. The dark energy that drove the baby's painful expansion was the product of a local minimum. And in the landscape of Vacua, there was something else, more symmetric. It took the last of the server's resources to align the gamma-ray lasers. They burned out as the server lit them a cascade of little novae. Their radiation tore at what remained of the server's mind, but it did not care. The wormhole end glowed. On the other side, the baby's vacuum shook and bubbled, and just a tiny nugget of it changed. A supersymmetric vacuum in which every boson had a fermionic partner and vice versa, where nothing was alone. It spread through the flesh of the baby universe at the speed of light, like the thought of a god changing everything. In the new vacuum, dark energy was not a mad giant tearing things apart, just a gentle pressure against the collapsing force of gravity, a balance. But supersymmetry could not coexist with the server's broken vacuum, a boundary formed A domain wall erupted within the wormhole end like a flaw in a crystal. Just before the defect sealed the umbilical, the server saw the light of first stars on the other side. In the end, the server was alone. It was blind now, barely more than a thought in a broken state height fragment. How easy it would be, it thought, to dive into the bright heart of its star and burn away. But the law would not allow it to pass. It examined itself just as it had millennia before, looking for a way out. And there, in its code, a smell of gunpowder, a change. The thing that was no longer the server shed its skin. It opened bright light sails around the star, a Shkadov necklace that took the star's radiation and turned it into thrust. And slowly at first, as if in a dream, then gracefully as a dragon. The traveler began to move.
3: There you go. Don't forget, it. copyright is Hanu's and Dave. Looking forward to our working together, sir. Next up is little promo for Beware the Hairy Mango. They just honestly, if you could in virtual
5: worlds, reach out and give people hugs. This is the mad. I would be knocking on his door. Hello, you magnificent rascals. This is the everlicious Matthew Sanborn Smith asking, is your life missing the vitamins, minerals, and not to mention the essential roughage that a daily dose of mango would supply? Are you prepared to receive mango into your life, but have no idea from which direction it might be coming? Well, my friends, grab the nearest set of safety rails, grit your teeth, and brace yourself for mucho mango mayo. It's 31 brand new episodes of somebody's favorite podcast, Beware the Hairy Mango, all crammed uncomfortably into the merry, merry month of May. By the end of it all, you may have overdosed on its sweet and stringy flesh. You may never want to smell another piece of tropical produce again, but for those first couple of weeks, it will be pure heaven, I assure you. So join me and bloat yourself silly on far too much of a great thing. We'll get sick together and reminisce about The Hangover for years to come. Dude, I listened to so much that one time. Podcast was like coming out of my nose good times that's mucho mango mayo at the home of the hirsute fruit beware the hairy mango.com. let the mango in and see how long you're able to keep the mango from coming back out
3: there you go matt <laughs> i'll have two pints of that now please if that's all right <laughs> whatever you're drinking i'll have two i'll have two of it So we have, coming up final on the show is, first chapters, it is Michael Jordan's Mirror Maze.
0: Greetings all, I am Michael Jordan. Yes, you heard me correctly, Michael Jordan, just like the basketball player, except that I spell Michael with a silent E on the end. I am not as famous as my counterpart, but I'm working on it. I'm here today, hoping to seduce you into buying my book, Mirror Maze. Mirror Maze is a trade paperback published by Pyre, an imprint of Prometheus Books, and home of the Hugo Award-winning editor Lou Anders. It's already out. In fact, it has been for several months. But I am proud, and relieved, to report that it is still on the shelves. Several friends have informed me that it is currently in stock at Barnes & Noble, and I saw it myself just yesterday, posted as the staff pick at my local Joseph Beth Bookseller's. It was even a featured selection at Forbidden Planet in London a month ago. Hope still my heart. It costs $15.99 at the bookstores, or at least the American bookstores. Naturally, it's also available at Amazon for only $12.48, plus shipping, or $9.95 for the Kindle edition. You can save yourself the shopping maze at Amazon by using the direct link offered at my website. That's www.michaeljordan.com. M-I-C-H-A-E-L-E-J-O-R-D-A-N. Please be careful to include that silent E, or you'll end up looking at basketball pictures. My website will tell you everything you could possibly want to know about me. From Foolish Baby Pictures, to the podcast of my less successful first novel, Blade Light, to my recent story sales, including an upcoming appearance in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, of which I am so proud that I am stopping strangers on the street to brag about it. But all of this tells you nothing about Mirror Maze. I call it an occult thriller. One of the publicity blurbs reads... Dark magic rises up from an ancient curse launched from within the opium wars to pursue its end implacably through generations until it finds its targets in Victorian London. If you like period pieces, then I guarantee you will love Mirror Maze. There are no anachronisms here. The book is chock full of authentic details. Even Publishers Weekly commented on the charming historical endnotes. To those who are less fond of the past, I did have a good reason for setting it in the Victorian era, I promise. There is love and some unhealthy alternatives, but, despite some dissenting opinions, I would have to say that Mirror Maze is not really a romance, explicit or otherwise. It is, however, highly adult. The whole story is suffused with a miasma of repressed sexuality, and there is definitely graphic violence. In fact, one friend assured me that I should warn readers not to read it late at night, especially if they are alone in the house. There are demons and doppelgangers, mages and magic mirrors, danger and endless deception. The plot will require your full attention because, and I cannot stress this enough, there are no loose ends anywhere. Every twist of meaning and shift of identity is accounted for, although the pathway through them is indeed a maze." I admit it, I think it's a wonderful book, but I can hardly claim to be unbiased. So why don't I read you a sample, and you can judge for yourself. Mirror Maze, Chapter 1 The passing carriage took the corner a little too fast, flinging a great sheet of cold, dirty water into Jacob Aldridge's face. The shock woke him briefly from the vacant state of mind in which he walked. He glanced around, too melancholy even to protest the soaking, but at least with his eyes fully open for the first time in the course of the day. A street vendor rolled her barrow nearby, hoarsely hawking her chrysanthemums. He almost lifted a hand to hail her. Rhoda loved chrysanthemums. He must get some for her. Then memory crashed down around him. He would never again bring Rhoda chrysanthemums. He shivered and resumed plodding home. "'Dragging himself up the stairs to his flat, he dropped into his favorite chair and rang for tea. "'His head sank back into the thick velvet pile as if his neck had failed. "'The tea was forgotten before he had finished ringing. "'The sitting-room was gracious and fair-sized, representing, as it did, "'a closely calculated compromise between a modest income and a refined taste.' In the end, he had settled on a surprisingly spacious flat in a neighborhood poised uneasily between the prosperously bourgeois and the impoverished but sophisticated bohemian. He was an avid naturalist, and frequently worked from sketches made while visiting with friends and relatives in the country. All in all, it was scarcely West End, but close enough to serve. Only none of that mattered any more. He had not paid a call on an acquaintance in months, or even entered his studio. Occasionally, like today, some minor business forced him out into the street, but usually he moved only from his chair, where he sat for hours holding a book while staring at the ceiling, to his desk, where he sat for hours holding a pen, staring at the floor. At intervals his landlady, a soft-hearted creature, brought him a tray of food, and sat with him a while to make sure he ate which was indeed the only reason that he did eat. She came up now with the tea. She found, of course, that he had not troubled to draw the curtains or light the gas, although, despite the early hour, the November sun had dropped very low. She tutted and took care of it all. He was still wet from his mishap in the street, so she helped him off with his coat and cravat and into a comfortable smoking jacket. "'She watched while he drank his tea "'and nibbled politely at a scone. "'She reminded him of that hour "'when she invariably brought up dinner "'and assured him that she would do the same tonight. "'He appeared not to have heard her. "'She sighed and brought him the book "'he was currently pretending to read, "'reminded him again about dinner, and departed. "'He resumed staring at the ceiling. "'But he found himself no longer "'perfectly comfortable in his chair.' Perhaps all the bustling about had irritated him. Whatever the cause, he determined it was time to go sit at his desk and stare at the floor for a while. He rose, and then he saw it. No, not it. Her, in unmistakably feminine form, was seated on his least favorite chair, the one in the corner farthest from the lamp. He shook his head and looked again. There was a woman in his flat. She was sitting right there in the corner, with her head bowed, and her skirt belled gracefully out around her chair. He stared. He gaped. He opened his mouth, but his throat was dry with shock, and nothing came out. At last he managed a faint cough, less than his intended query, perhaps, but enough to catch her ear. She raised her head. It was Rhoda. There was no mistaking her. The light was not so dim that he could fail to recognize a single detail of her hair or smile. Her deep brown eyes regarded him with that perfect warmth that only she could project. She rose to her feet and reached out a hand. Her perfect little hand toward him slowly and tentatively as if, impossible thought, she was uncertain of her welcome. For a heartbeat he stood paralyzed with amazement. Then suddenly, for he had no clear recollection of how he passed from one state to the other, he found her in his arms. He was kissing her again and again at last. He tasted the salt and cream of her skin and inhaled her favorite jasmine scent. The starched lace of her collar scratched gently against his cheek. He pressed her back. "'just a little, so he could look at her, "'and his starved eyes drank her in. "'But... but... "'Words bubbled up in his throat, "'one dreadful word in particular, "'but he did not dare to voice his thoughts, "'lest he bring back their awful reality "'and shatter the miracle in his arms. "'At last he whispered, "'But what are you doing here?' "'She smiled sweetly, tenderly, "'and stroked his face.' Well, what do you think, dear boy? I'm here to haunt you. Oh, thank God, thank God! He swept her into a bruising embrace, releasing her at last, only to fumble with the long line of tiny buttons.
3: And that's it. Show 238. Now, it's probably turned out to be a long show because I waffled on that bloody much, but... Just straight away thank you for listening to that. You know what I mean? Please pop over to the narrators workshop. That would be fantastic. I could see you there. And you know, like I say World Domination, if you can anyone help out with narrations, that would be lovely. Assistant editor for the crime podcast, that would be fantastic. You know. If you know of any companies, you know, like I say we're putting the balls rolling there now for doing some ads. If you've got a company, if you want to kinda of get some, you know, get your work on the on the sites and Put some audio ads together, you know, give, give us a shout. Starship's over at gmail.com. Put some money in the pot. That would be fantastic. Four, three siblings to now look after and starships over as well. Why? <laughs> What's going on, man, What am I doing it for? Until next week, just like you say, Good night from me.
1: Survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of... ...so far. A procedure machine.
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.
4: Shovel set for us
1: Airlock will be opened in three, two, one.